Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to Keep the Game Beautiful. This is kind of a special episode and one we've talked about for a while. We're turning the tables a little bit. And today, I, Dan Turi, am interviewing Anna the normal host of Keep the Game Beautiful about her journey and what she's learned over the last year in the podcast. So this is a special birthday episode. Uh, It's also the one year celebration of the podcast. So we hope you enjoy it quite a bit. Anna Turi is a uh, 14-year-old soccer player, referee, and has even started to coach. We're located in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. She's been involved with the game a couple of years now. Uh, But I don't want to take too much away from her. So, Anna, how about you take a second and introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Anna Turi. I am the host of Keep the Game Beautiful, which I started about a year ago just with an idea to outreach when I heard a lot of negative in the game. I've been playing for about four years and maybe played for a year when I was five or six. And I've really enjoyed it. I am a goalkeeper. I also started refereeing about four years ago and really developed my knowledge for the game. And I've been coaching with my dad off and on. And this year I'm starting to take lead in some of the goalkeeper training. So that sounds great, Anna. I'm wondering if if you can maybe talk a little bit right off the bat. uh, Tell me what you mean by you heard some negative things when you came up with the idea for the podcast. So I was at a tournament on concussion protocol, so I was just watching a a lot of games, and you can hear a lot of yelling and just negativity in the game, especially at tournaments when you're competing for a win to get first place in the tournament. So I don't know. I just didn't enjoy the negative I was hearing in the game, and that just sparked a sparked a light in me. Maybe I could start a podcast because we'd been listening to a lot of podcasts recently and it just developed from there. So I I think as you say, it was a tournament. It was over at at, uh, the Chicagoland area, uh, Labor Day tournament. Um, And I think it's important to say too, the concussion was not a result of anything soccer related. How did you get that concussion? I got that concussion from water skiing actually. I was on the dock and I was trying to do a sliding start where basically you're standing up and the boat pulls you. And I had these tiny little skis and I fell forward and the skis hit the back of my head. So it was kind of tough to, to be in that situation. Do you, um, remembering back to that night, we were watching games. Uh, some of the negative things, what, what was it? I, uh, do you remember any of the specifics? I don't quite remember specifics. I remember parents and coaches mainly. You never really heard the players or the referees, but it was mainly the parents and coaches trying to manipulate what was happening on the field and just getting too negative about what was happening. So it was a lot of that general um, just, hey, that's not offsides. Of course, adding the S, which we know is not accurate or maybe questioning the direction of a throw-in, or perhaps yelling at a player because they weren't fast enough to receive a pass from a teammate, that type of stuff? Yeah, yeah. it's happening all over the game, as we could see in that tournament. Okay. 
So one of the other things when we were at that tournament is I remember you had an opportunity to talk with Stan Anderson and kind of hang out with him because you couldn't play games. So it's like, well, hang out with Stan. That's the next best thing. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, what what you and Stan talked about and how you connected and, and reached out to another goalkeeper coach. So we had talked about the podcast and he was very very excited about my idea but we had also talked about big joe's injury and how he was injured and how we wanted to support him so stan was talking about maybe making up t-shirts to help support his injury and help him get through and we also just filmed a quick video out to him just saying hey big joe we know you're hurting we hope you get better so i can come training with you something like that and it just showed how goalkeeper union came together so when we talk about GK Union, Stan then went on from there. I, I remember he was really, really wanting to to kind of do something special for him and help him out. And uh, there was this great T-shirt sale initiative. Um, and, and I know it meant the world to Big Joe to, to have so much support. So I want to shift a little bit. Um, what was it like for you uh, not being able to play, but still being there with your team? It was very important for me because I was there to show my support for the team. And even though I couldn't play, I was able to support them in some way. I was able to be there in some way, maybe as a team manager or help bring them their water when they come off or give them a high five. So one of the things I thought was really cool too is it was early in the season and there was still kind of this bidding and this settling of the team for who number one, number two GK were, uh, um, and really in the end, the, the two of you did well playing with each other and could balance that in respect. Uh, but what were some of the things that allowed you um, to, to do the goalkeeper? I, I remember one specific uh, uh, save or technique that you had taught on that Sunday morning. Yeah, so the other goalkeeper who was playing she had asked about a front smother because I know I've, I've used it a lot and she just kind of asked about the technique. And this was before a game. We were there pretty early, so I kind of just showed her. I did it step-by-step step slowly and kind of taught her and worked her up. And it was very cool to see her learn and especially ask me for help because I'm pretty sure we did have our goalkeeper coach there at the time, but she went to me for help instead. So that, to me, was one of those times when – I really could see you emerging as a coach. Did it feel different when it was a peer coming to you asking for help versus uh, maybe someone who came to a coaching clinic that you were helping out at? It didn't feel much different because she is a peer, but I had been helping her warm up for a while too and just giving her advice and feedback. And it's basically the same thing. We're coaching to help the player get better and improve. So it doesn't matter if they're the same age as me or if they're older than me. All that matters is if I help them. So I think you've kind of started to talk a little bit. And for those that listen to the podcast frequently, you know there's three questions we always start with. I'm going to put those three on hold uh, because I'm leading it, not Anna. So I guess I get to play by my own set of rules. But Anna, you started setting up a little bit of what your coaching philosophy and foundation is. Go ahead and expand on that. What do you hope to do as a coach when you're with athletes? My number one priority as a coach is to make sure they're having fun. 
soccer is all about having a good time. And especially at the young ages, we need to keep them in the game. So if they're not having fun, they're just going to want to quit. So I just want to make sure that practices are fun, but I'm also helping them as a player to improve and get better. And that's all that really matters is in the game. It mainly, number one, having fun, but also getting better. And especially at young ages, sometimes we're focused too much on getting better, and we just need to be focused on having some fun. So I, I think as you continue on in your, in your future in education, and go ahead and share real quick what you plan to go to school for and what you want to do as a career when you get older. So when I get older, I want to be a special education teacher. So as you go through all these educational theory classes, you're going to learn more and more about things that keep people from learning, barriers to learning and education. And I think, as you said, uh, having that desire to learn, having that enjoyment of the environment is going to be key. So what do you do when you've got an athlete you're working with who's not having as much fun? Well, first, you have to determine why they're not having fun. Is it the peers they're surrounded by? Is it the game in general? What is it? If it's the peers, we can kind of switch them teams or maybe have a one-on-one -on -one session. I know I always try and one-on-one -on -one is just about having fun and understanding why they may not be having fun. And it's also just encouragement, encouraging the players. If they, let's say in terms of goalkeeping, if they make a good save, cheer them on. Of course, it's an amazing save and they just want to be encouraged for it. And maybe they made a save, but it's poor technique. You can still encourage the save, but maybe explain the technique as well. Maybe take a second and show them what they can do, but also tell them they did a good job in making the save in the first place. Because in the end, a save is a save. So Anna, can you talk a little bit, what do you think the coach's role should be in helping teams to connect and appreciate one another because I know you've had a couple of experiences where you didn't always feel a part of the team or uh, e even surrounded yourself with with mean girls at times right yeah so the coach should be supporting the team and should be involved in the team as well in team bonding experiences and making sure everyone is involved if you look when players are just putting on their cleats you can look at the groups basically and see we have one circle here and one circle here and maybe encourage, encourage them to develop into one big circle or maybe when you meet in to start practice, come up with some type of bonding experience just to get them all involved. And one experience I went through is all of the players on the team went out on a boating trip and me and the other goalkeeper weren't invited. And that hurt very much and the two goalkeepers the only goalkeepers on the team weren't invited and I think that the coach should be able to reach out to the players that weren't invited and say hey we're going out on the boat tomorrow do you want to join and I believe I was busy that day but an inv invitation would have been very appreciated so just reaching out to the teammate team and making sure everyone's involved and no one's left out because if we have a team with horrible team culture they're not going to play well because they don't play like a team they play like 11 individual players so when when you think about that do you think as a goalkeeper especially as a youth goalkeeper do you feel 
like your position is unique and it's different and it's harder sometimes to be a part of the team um, or perhaps sometimes uh, you might be in a position where people just don't understand your role. Go ahead and talk through that a little bit, what that feels like to be the goalkeeper on a youth team. Yeah, it's different. Sometimes we'll get pulled away from practices on the other side just to do goalkeeping work. Sometimes there's keeper beat-up drills where it's PKs. We all know that it's not going to be in the goalkeeper's favor if you're getting PK after PK after PK. It's just there's constant separation, it feels like. It's kind of hard to feel involved in the team at times, especially when some players don't understand how hard it is. You hear the players say, oh, it can't be that hard. I don't get why they have different trainings. I don't get why goals are let in or something like that. And then you also hear the players, I could never do that. I'm too scared. So we have different boundaries of what players think of the goalkeeper and what they know of what a goalkeeper does. And oftentimes, when I was on a team, I would be belittled for a goal coming in. And it's just not fair because the players, the defenders, they don't understand that that goal I couldn't save. I wasn't in the right positioning. I didn't extend enough. And it's hard for them to understand never being a goalkeeper. So I, I want to kind of ask, like, like these drills that you see people do in practices, are you talking about like where we might have like a 4v2 plus GK scenario where we've got four attackers working up and they're trying to do passes right at the ed edge of the penalty area and then take a close shot like between the PA and the goal area? Yeah, those drills as well. We... Those drills are hard for goalkeepers at times if the defenders aren't prepared and connected together. And it is a keeper beat-up drill. And there's drills, like just a 1v1 situation. At the end of practices, we used to do a the each player would get two chances to try and make a 1v1 on a cold night where the ground is hard and everyone's just ready to go home and shower. And those just aren't fun especially hitting the ground after like that over and over again on the hard hard ground after a full hour and a half practice so i know that's that's one thing you, you know to talk about another prior guest that you had eric vodder ev really talks about in practices how you're you're not in a game-like environment you're doing multiple dives dive 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 Whereas in a whole 90-minute game or 70-minute game or whatever level you're playing, oh, you might have 10 dives in the whole, whole game. Is that kind of what you're, what you're talking about? Yeah, a lot of drills aren't game realistic because some games you may touch the ball once a half, maybe only once a game, depending on who you're playing. So we need to be able to adjust and adapt and not get our bodies used to dive, 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 dive all the time. Because then we sometimes get players who dive for no reason. It may be a holdable ball where you can just shuffle your feet and get your body behind it, but they still dive and take that ener extra energy out of them, which they need to save for later in the game. 
So is that one of those things when you're watching other goalkeepers and you kind of see like, okay, you're making unnecessary dives and you're wasting energy. Is that something that when you're coaching, you try to correct that, save that dive for when it matters? Yeah, I tried to correct that. And it's a lot of, especially with the younger players, just the footwork. They don't understand the shuffling and that they can get there. So it's just training them, starting them out smaller, not as far away, and then stretching them even more as they become more advanced and more game-like. So I want to uh, talk for just a, just a quick second, a, a little bit. You know, we talked about how that goalkeeper connects to the team. Um, I know you've been in, in kind of a tough place, too, where the club you were a part of um, has had three goalkeeper coaches over about a year, year and a half's time. Um, people change, uh, you know, we, we know that and we don't blame people that have gone on to other opportunities. Uh, but how important do you think it is for consistency of being able to work with one coach over and over and over and master a single component of the, the, the game versus it, always starting over? Yeah, it's very important because new coaches have new styles and new expectations. And there's probably about a three to four week adjustment to the new coach. They may like the keeper to play higher up, whereas the past coach likes the keeper to play closer to their goal line and di just different, different things like that. And it's very important to, that they stay consistent because it's hard for goalkeepers, especially mid-season, to have to relearn everything or adapt to the coach's new style. Well, and sometimes, too, I know that creates a break where there might not be any goalkeeper training, right? I, I mean, okay, one person's resigned, and now we're going to have a posting, and a new person's going to start in a week or two, and then it's a new schedule, right? So, so that's the other big challenge that I think uh, some, some keepers might experience, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to talk just a, a little bit about you know, what got you excited and kind of thinking that you could be a podcaster? I think it was Stan Anderson, actually, or it just kind of developed from there. I remember I presented the idea to Stan and he was very excited about it and just positive and uplifting. And that kind of flipped the switch. Maybe I could do it. And then I kind of reached out. I think I posted on Twitter, if I started a podcast, who would listen? And I got very positive feedback about it. So I think that that just made it even better. And I became more ready and prepared to put myself out there and push myself and maybe make myself vulnerable. Yeah, and I, I think anyone who knows Stan Anderson, I, th I think would probably, like, you can visually imagine him right now, like, yeah, go get it, kid, or, or something to that effect, right? Mm hmm So um, one of the first people that really um, got excited about the podcast, I think, uh, was, was Jeff Van Dusen uh, of United Soccer Coaches. And, um, you know, Jeff was on the podcast, oh, so somewhere around – uh, the new year just before convention. Um, I, I remember he reached out to me 
and kind of said, hey, I'm, I'm Jeff Van Dusen with the United Soccer Coaches. Can we talk? And it was this very open-ended question. And I'm like, oh, crud, what, what did I do? And, and it was instead, uh, the message was very much, right now, our, our game needs somebody, a youth, to, to remind us why we're doing what we're doing. So um, talk for a second about what Jeff's support has meant to you and, and United Soccer Coaches in general, which, which you are a member of, right? Yep, I'm a member of United Soccer Coaches. And both United Soccer Coaches and Jeff have been huge supporters of me. I remember at convention, it was the first day, and we constantly had United Soccer Coaches m- members and staff stopping by. A lot of the staff, Jeff had told almost everyone about me, and they were all super excited and just loved my story and my journey and were positive and uplifting. So Jeff had kind of used your convention story as one of the kickoffs to get everyone, you know, the night before all the doors opened in front of all the all the key volunteers and the 30 under 30 coaches and the United Soccer Coaches board members. Um, go ahead and tell us, what was your convention story, not 2020, but 2019 when we went over to the Expo Hall in Chicago? Yeah, so we had gone to the Expo Hall, like he said, and that was a time in my soccer career where I was, I was wanting to quit. Completely honest, I wanted to quit right then and there. But my dad, of course, was like, give it a little more time. Let's go to the convention. So we went to the convention, and it was a really cool experience, kind of just checking out the Expo, call, Expo Hall. And that's where we met Tiffany Weimer and heard about Addie Gay. But then we also stopped by Big Joe's area with the crazy catch. And I was just doing a little bit of work, throwing the ball against the crazy catch. And I dove on the floor, which was concrete with maybe a centimeter or an inch of fabric on top. And I didn't think anything of it. I mean, it was, everyone was so excited and like, whoa, she did that. But it didn't seem so special to me. I just dove. And again, I just got up. I was fine. It didn't even hurt that bad. I got up and dove again on the other side. And that's when Big Joe started taking me around. He introduced me to Evie, who gave me a free pair of gloves, and to Stan Anderson, who I had really wanted to meet because I was wanting to go to Camp Shutout now. And I was just excited and ready for a new experience of soccer. Well, and I think at that time, too, you know, the other part of it is is you had been associated with a club um, where there was some coaching that probably bordered on the line of abusive, just in terms of constant sarcasm at players and um, even massaging a player's leg as a good job, girl, <laughs> um, which we don't do those things. And, and I think you and I were both frustrated that nobody in the organization – saw that as problematic or wanted to make a better experience for players. So a little bit of us heading over there was just to confront some people out of the national staff too, right? Yeah, I think that was mainly your idea. I was a little nervous about that one because conflict is not my thing. But at that point, is it fair to say that the day we went to convention, 
you were kind of like 1.8 foot out of playing soccer at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you weren't a full two feet out yet, but, but you were pretty much done with the game. So um, you talked about a few of the highlights. What do you think, what did it feel like just being in an environment where you could see so many people that just had a love and passion for the game too? It was so much fun just meeting everyone and everyone was so excited to be there and all the booths, they were so excited about sharing their product and just helping players. And I think it was very exciting, especially going around when they saw me and my friend Ashlyn just as youth experiencing the expo. That was one of the things that surprised me too, is, is it didn't feel like there were a whole lot of youth there. Um, and and I, I think that's a great opportunity uh, for anyone who's passionate about the game to to buy an expo hall pass. I can't remember what the cost is, but it's very reasonable. And just head over and just experience it a little bit. I felt like in in Baltimore this year, I felt like I did see more of the demo players kind of hanging out and, and checking out the expo area a little bit. So when we were over there, um, you know, you kind of talked about uh, uh, that aspect. I want to shift hats and, and chat about referees a little bit because that, that was another uh, really unique experience. First, first, can you talk about some of the ex- experiences and abuse you received as a referee? Yeah, so I can share. I have many stories, but I can share one of the more aggressive stories you could say. So there was a time, it was an AYSO playoff game, and I was centering a 10U match, a 10U girls match. And the players started to get a little aggressive, and the parents followed with as well. So then we kind of had some people questioning calls, and eventually it led to a dad screaming at me. and. That was right by the big AYSO tent, so we had a bunch of the board members come and stand by, but eventually to get him out of the complex, we had to have him escorted by the police. So that was quite a changing experience for myself. So so that was kind of a tough situation because, yeah, this dad starts to get irate, um, and, and on that game your younger brother, Davin, is doing a club linesman thing uh, on the AR2 side, on the parent side. Um, I'm on AR1, uh, dressed as a referee, but I'm actually teaching someone how to be a club linesman. Um, and and I, th- I think it was tough because I, I wanted to help you in that situation, but I also wanted you to kind of take control and use your tools to manage it. So as we think back to that, uh, you know, what are some of your thoughts as, as another referee on the field? Um, was it right for me to kind of stand side and, and give you tools and say, hey, here's what I think you should do to handle it? Um, or do you, would you have preferred uh, just canceling the game or having someone else take over? Uh, what, do you, what do you think? I think it was okay to let me experience it for myself. Because I wasn't very confident in that situation, and I don't remember most of it, actually. But it actually prepared me for the future. 
And I can share an example. This was a, a tournament, so an ISL game, I believe. And I was centering, it was a 10U, 9U, 11U game or some, somewhere around that where I was the only referee on the field. And I had a coach, not yell, but start questioning my calls a lot. And I looked at him and I said, coach, I'm the only one out here. If you want to get me two ARs and make your players pay more for these two ARs, then go ahead and find them. But my call goes for now. And that just, I think that experience helped me be more prepared to stand up to coaches and helped me grow as a referee. Well, and, and I think too, there was some, some sort of comment that you made of, I'm doing the best I can, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I was doing the best I could uh, with what I was given at the time. And, and I can't remember what, what team it was against, but I think it, I think it may have even been a 12U, either an 11U or 12U. Um, but, but one of the coaches is, is someone that I know has listened to the podcast a little bit, Matt Ream, uh, who's now with Des Moines Soccer Club. And I can remember Matt reached out to me uh, because of our friendship, and he's just like, wow, Anna handled that so well. And it kind of put the other coach in his place when he turned the table and said, I'm doing what I can. If you want to help, there's a way to help, but this isn't it, right? Mm -hmm. I remember the coach was like, what, what? Well, it's not my fault that you're the only one out there. And then after that, I only heard him talk to his players. And it was actually a lot of him talking to his players was when the players questioned my call, he told them to be quiet. And that was, that put him in this place, definitely. So as you said earlier, I, I mean, conflict is not something you've ever been comfortable with. And I can say that as the dad who's known you for, you know, just shy of 15 years, right? Um, one of your first guests uh, was someone you, you, you met briefly at that Chicago convention. I think you just got a high five with her. Um, but her husband was someone you were able to learn some things and practice with. And, and go ahead and tell me a little bit about them and, and what their support has meant to you as a referee. Yeah, so Christina and Ted Uncle have been huge supporters of me. Christina was my first guest, actually, in my first ever interview, which was very stressful, but she was very positive and uplifting. And we've gone out to watch Ted referee, and I think it was in, in Minnesota, actually. <laughs> and we had gone to watch Ted referee, and we were standing. It was kind of up high, so we couldn't really talk to him well. But he had given me a shirt that was an MLS shirt. It said soccer for all. And that was just very supportive. And every time I see Ted, and I mainly see Ted. I haven't seen Christina in a while, but... He's always super supportive, asking about my recent games, how I'm doing, and it's just relieving to have such great support from such high-level referees. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, going back to convention, uh, there was the, the simulator there, right, the, the VAR simulator, which was kind of new technology a year and a half ago now, and I, I would guess you probably sat with Ted for maybe, maybe a full hour. I mean, it was clear you were into it. And, and you shared, shared a little bit of the story of how you were hurt as a referee. Um, now, another referee that's been a big supporter, uh, who's also friends with the uncles, 
Uh, go, ahead, go ahead and tell us about Corey. Corey is the one we were able to watch in Kansas City, and of course he introduced us to a few others. Um, I think Fotis was working the game, and, um, and Jonathan Johnson was, was in the, the VAR booth. Yeah, Corey's been a huge supporter. He was on the podcast as well and is just such a, has such a great personality and is so much fun to talk to. And we've been able to see him, and we just talked to him afterwards for a while. And, yeah, he introduced me to all the other, these other referees, and they asked about my games and what I'm doing as a referee. And it was just a unique situation. And Corey had also invited other friends from around the area, so I got to meet them as well. And now anytime Corey has a game near us or knows of someone with a game near us, he get, can hold a ticket for us. And it's really a cool experience. And I just love watching him referee and AR especially. <laughs> so, yeah, for those that have not watched Corey Rockwell as an AR, it is a treat. And I know one of the things he shared in, in the episode, the interview you did, is that you, the the third team, the team of referees, right, is kind of invisible, but it's also important that they remember they're part of the entertainment value of the experience, and it's the referee's job to to make sure they're doing their best and that they're performing at a high level um, with without obviously impacting the play or overtaking the play, right? But um, just just always being positive and upbeat there. Mm-hmm. Corey always has a huge smile whenever he's refereeing and even he has the power shuffle and he'll knock over the flag and laugh about it and it's just such a fun experience to watch. So I know one one more uh, FIFA referee who's local, um, Terry Vaughn was on and and, uh, he he really shared a lot of information about um, Huntington's disease, uh, which you see all the referees wearing that HD wristband um when when they're out doing games um what what does it mean to to have someone like terry who grew up in this small community in iowa and went on to earn his fifa badge and worked high level games um what hope does that give you for your own ability to to advance as a referee it's it gives me a lot of hope because someone who advanced in such a small little area became such an amazing referee and it's just so cool to have him right here and it's great to hear some stories and just learn from him especially what it was like when he was younger and refereeing and what it was like to make his journey in a small little town in Iowa to become uh, an amazing referee. Well, and I know recently, so, so our, our area, we're, we're not a metropolitan area of, of vast proportion by any means. Um, but in our area, we also had Katya uh, Korleva. And recently, one of the assigners she worked w- with has kind of taken you under his wing. What, what does that mean to you that, that now you're getting good mentoring from people like Assad and Sean and um, that you've got an assigner saying, you know what, Katya, uh, she did it. You can do it too. It's amazing actually that they see the spark and the light inside of me to encourage me to be better and mentor me to be a better referee. And it's an amazing experience how I've been put in so many groups to help me get better in the advanced referee group. And I'm just excited for what this season brings and hoping that I can work up to some more higher level games. 
Well, and and I love that you talk about kind of that that spark and that it's it's not necessarily tangible, right? It's like a feeling, like a calling that some people just have. Would you would you kind of agree? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just the love for the game that you see in the person and the wanting to get better and work harder every day. So at convention this past year, one of the last interviews you did of the week was with April Heinrichs. I'm wondering if you can talk for a second what that was like, first of all, to know that you were like texting and emailing back and forth with her before convention. Uh, But then what was it like as you learned more about her experience to go, wow, this person's invested in me? It was absolutely amazing. She kind of compared the next generation and how I am a part of the next generation to make soccer what it is. And it was such a heartwarming experience. And it just encouraged me for the future even more to continue to grow and be the next generation and be the leader to keep growing the game. And I, I think that's one of those things that, that you've heard a couple of times, right? I mean, a few of the guests have kind of said like, hey, I'm, I'm getting older now. Uh, I got to find someone to take my place. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot have talked about the next generation and what's to come. So I, I know there's been a couple of um, uh, tougher subjects that, that you've talked about. Uh, you, you know, you, you did kind of three-part series on, on sexual assault, including Title IX and uh, um, with Haley and Afghan women and, and with uh, Candace sharing her story of, of having pressure from a coach. Um, how do you think tackling and asking and being curious about these painful things will help you in the future be a better advocate? It's so important that I know this now because not it's not just in the future. It's happening right now all around us. And I may have a teammate right now that's experiencing that and I don't they don't know how to tell other people. But if I'm aware of these subjects and I'm aware how to help, then if I see something or hear something, I can help a player in any way I can. And it will also help me in the future as a college student. We know in college, it happens all the time. It happened with Candace and her previous college coach. And uh, as the fu- in the future, as I'm coaching, it will also help as well because as a coach, I want to be there for the players and I want them to be able to talk to me. So if they may, be, if they may have been sexually assaulted, I'll know how to help them then. Well, and, and that was one of those things, you know, with the Big Joe podcast uh, two weeks ago now, uh, you know, Big Joe talked about the 7-Eleven chat. And I think he really sent home the point of like, after practice, he can tell something's going on. A- and Big Joe says, hey, you know what? I tell him, let's meet over at 7-Eleven. I'll buy you a Coke. We'll sit on the tailgate of my pickup truck and talk. How important is it for coaches uh, to be that ear for players to be prepared to open that door and what specifically can coaches do to make themselves more approachable to players? Yeah. So it's so important that the coaches are that year because some players, 
it's hard to talk to your parents about some things. As we know, I'm talking to my dad and some things I may not want to share with him. And there may not be, it may not be something I can share with a peer that I can trust with a peer. But having a coach as an adult influence that I can trust and talk to is so important. And just knowing that they're there for me. And to be more open, that's hard. If you're a closed-off coach, it can be hard to open up to your players. And maybe just showing that you're vulnerable as well. Maybe sharing something to relate to a player. If a player comes to you, if they look upset, maybe just sit down. Not soccer-related. Don't make it about soccer. Make it about the player. Make sure they feel welcomed. If you can help one player feel welcomed, they'll probably tell their teammates, tell them that this coach did such an amazing, an amazing thing for them, and that just makes their respect even greater for that coach. It will probably quickly spread around to the team, and it will just make the team more open and together. So when, when you think about um, coaches you've been impressed by, you know, I, th I think about like, like Tristan Studeville as one example. So, so Tristan um, is a 30 under 30 participant, uh, played at Ball State, um, set up some goalkeeper clinics when she was younger. What, what are some of the things that she's done to really kind of partner with and support you, even though you're not anyone she's ever formally coached? It's been amazing. She's willing for any call at all. She told me that I can call her about any questions or concerns I may have or just anything that's going on in my personal life. And having someone there that I had never been coached by tell them they can help me in any way is an amazing experience. And having such a positive, uplifting person there for you is a great feeling as well. Well, and I think one of the, one of the others that really stands out to me that, that um, has held that kind of player-centered value uh, would be Tiffany Weimer, right? Um, when we first met Tiffany, I took a picture of you getting your Duke TIG, and she just started to to ride me and rattle my cage a little bit about, oh, why do parents always take pictures? What are some of the things she does uh, that you think you could use in your own coaching? I think it's the relating to players and just having a good time, joking around and having fun. But yeah, a center, center, a player-centered coaching style, focusing on the players and not the parents and what they want or anything else, any outside boundary, just focusing on what the players need. Now, when, when you were um, in quarantine, you, you were still trying to stay connected to soccer, even though your high school season was canceled. Uh, what were some of the things that, that you did or webinars you participated in that really stood out? Yeah, so I watched a lot of webinars. I watched Vince and Ian's United Soccer Coaches webinar, which was just fun, a little 15 minutes. And I remember a webinar with Addie, and just talking about Duke Tig and encouraging other young women. And most recently, it wasn't really in quarantine, but a Molly Grisham experience, which was absolutely amazing. I loved hearing from all of the panelists and all these amazing people. And just, 
honestly, all of the webinars impacted me in some positive way and made me think a little bit more. So as, as you talk about, you know, with, with Molly Grisham, I, I think um, she's been someone you really connected well with. Not only were you able to, to uh, do a session with her in summer of, of uh, what was it, summer of 2019, um, but then you did a little bit of follow-up and you did an interview. And I think when you interviewed her, it was still, it was still earlier in the year and you were kind of getting your, your, your bearings set. Um, what are some of the big takeaways from Molly that stand out to you? I, one thing that really stood out to me was in the experience and it was every leader brings their own aspect to the table. And it wouldn't surprise me if she touched on that in the interview that I interviewed her at as well, because that's something that stands very close with her, with her meaning and it's very important to understand that every leader is different, every person is different, and every leading style is different. And and I think that's one of those things of, of you know, in, in your leadership style, sometimes you're that quiet leader, right? You're not the one that's voicing a whole lot openly. Um, you're not getting in anyone's face. Um, although the past few weeks, uh, you've started to to feel a little bit more in command of your leadership abilities and directing people. Talk about what you've been up to and how that's helped you and how you now see that aiding you as a uh, soccer player. Yeah, so I have been volunteering and probably at 330 hours, maybe, somewhere around that, but it is quite a lot for someone my age. And uh, I have been doing a lot of the office commanding and leading in the office and helping some people to do some tree work after the big derecho storm hit, which if you don't know what a derecho is, it's an inland hurricane and it hit Iowa really hard and not something that we were expecting as well. We had maybe five minutes to prepare and it was just out of nowhere. So I've been volunteering in the command center is what we call it and just taking control up there and responding to messages and getting calls and just different things like that that are very important and it's been amazing because I've gotten so much support being so young and doing so much and it's been it's been such an eye-opening experience and it's definitely developed my leadership because I've been leading people 10 years, 20 years older than me. And it's been amazing. So, and I, I think that's been one of those things at first, they kind of joked that you were a CEO and you kind of shrugged it off and it actually took someone else coming over and putting a, a name tag in front of you and saying, you should write CEO and wear this. And, slowly it's become more and more where you feel like you've earned that right. So now how do you take that leadership capacity that you've experienced and bring it onto the soccer field? You know, I don't quite know on that one. I just, I know I have the new confidence of my leadership skills. So I just need to push myself. And throughout this, I have been 
outside my comfort zone. And staying outside of my comfort zone would be very important. And just, just knowing that I can do it and having confidence and faith in myself. So I know as, as um, you, you know, we're probably getting tighter on time. There's a lot more guests that, you know, we'd love to celebrate and talk through. Um, you know, I think about Maka Chikawaro. Uh, who who is your age and also really changing the game of soccer for everyone. Um, but I, d- I did want to chat for just a, a quick second. What does it mean to you as a podcast or as a young woman um, in, you know, in your high school freshman year last year um, when, when you've got people that are really willing to open up and share their stories, not necessarily the things that we already know, uh, but I think about the Wayne State College uh, podcast episode, for example, um, where just people were really real about pains and traumas and how they emerged from them. Yeah, the Wayne State especially was such an amazing and eye-opening podcast as well. It was so cool to listen to all of these college players that were open about how they were feeling and open about the community and the experiences they went through. And just when people are able to open up and share their experiences, it makes it makes them seem more vulnerable and more human. So you can go to them, talk to them. And it, it's helpful for people listening that know they aren't the only person that may have experienced something like that. It may give give someone just a little bit of faith for their future and how they can grieve or get over whatever may have happened in their life. So I I know, you know, the episode right after that, you talked to Grace Sokolow and um, Grace kind of talked too about just feeling really defeated as she was looking for coaching positions. And I think the more we can be open and transparent about our challenges, the better our community can be. Is that accurate? Yeah, 100%. The more open we are, the more people can come talk and explain and just relate to someone else. So I I do think it's worth giving a shout out to uh, um, at least two more people. And again, the list is endless of people that that have helped you. And as I think about it, like like Ron DeMars of Six Yard Box is another that deserves a lot of credit for always being there for you. But um, the one I was thinking of is, is Nick Rizzo and Sean Soderling with Soccer Chat. Um, what has being a part of the Soccer Chat community and being part of a, the, the Twitter chats and getting to know the guys done for you? It's been an amazing experience just getting to know them and listening to what they may talk about in their podcast and especially in convention we were right next to them so it was nice if I didn't have anything going on I would just kind of listen in to what they were talking about and maybe learn and the same for everyone else if there was like 18 yard box they were doing an interview with Tristan I think it was so I just kind of sat by nearby and just listened to what they were talking about and what was kind of happening to learn from and then the Twitter experience has been amazing just learning from other coaches and I think it's valuable for myself because they can hear from a player's experience and learn from that. So different questions, answering maybe if a player does this, what should we do? 
And I can kind of answer that from a player's perspective and help coaches understand what is best for a player and someone my age nowadays as well. Yeah, and I, I can remember there was a podcast episode too where where Nick and Sean were collecting little sound bites and sound clips and and you had called in and left one and um you know Nick, Nick Rizzo kind of chimed in right away after they introduced your clip or, or or post clip with just it's gonna be really fun to watch and see what Anna does. What did that mean for you? I mean, here's this here's this uh college coach wearing a red sweatshirt that everybody loves and you know he's like this girl's gonna do things what did that mean that meant everything it gave me faith for the future and just encouraged me to keep going yeah and i i i want to say like like we listened to that episode on the way back from uh, uh steven's point trip for for a camp shutout event right yeah, I think so. So that was before the podcast. So I, I want to ask you, and this is this is kind of kind of gonna take a second. Um, if if you could pick any any of the podcast guests that you've had, any of the podcast guests that you've had, if you could pick any of them to mentor you as a coach, who would it be? You know, I can't just pick one. I don't think that's fair because going back to what Molly Grisham said, every person brings something different to the table. So having all of these people that are amazing and supportive of me is so important because something that Tristan may say may be different than what Rizzo might tell me. And it's just learning from both of those and bringing those in and learning and developing my style off of each coach because just one mentor I don't want to replicate someone be the exact same as my mentor having different voices all around will encourage me and bring in new ideas and develop my own ideas so then to kind of think similarly of of the people that you've had is there any referee that you've had that you would love to work a game with I would love to work a game with any of the referees I've had. It would be an amazing experience with Sam Carey. I know I would love that, especially someone, she's not my age, but she's close to me in age, and to see her develop as a referee. And it would be an amazing experience to work one with Christina Uncle or Corey Rockwell, and especially Corey Rockwell as an AR to help me as an AR because AR is something that really interests me and something I do enjoy a lot more than centering. So I'm, I'm going to mention real quick, Sam Carey, that was an episode that Anna put out in July. Um, Sam Carey uh, played every game for University of Iowa as a defender her freshman year. Um, and she's also going to be on a fast track to be doing some amazing things with, with refereeing if she chooses. So, so do watch for that. So Anna, as you kind of talk about the future of refereeing, do you see yourself refereeing at a professional level someday? Yeah, I do. If I'm able to continue working and continuing to push myself, I could see myself getting to a high level. But it's just in the next few years, 
pushing myself harder, getting out of my comfort zone, becoming a stronger center as well. Yeah, and I think that was one of those things that that I think it was Corey Rockwell really sold the point to you of if you want to be that high-level AR, you've got to be that high-level center too, right? Wasn't that from Corey? I believe it was. It sounds like something he would say. (laughs) So um, do you see yourself burning a FIFA badge someday? You know, I can't say that right now. I want to, and I'm going to push to it, but I don't know what the future holds for me, and I guess we'll figure out soon. So then on on the coaching side with your future goals, do you you see yourself pursuing coaching for a long time? I do, and even if it's not high-level coaching, a collegiate coaching, just continuing to coach, maybe a 10U team, a 12U team, and just staying in the game in any way I can. So I, I, I think I kind of joked with you a little bit, you know, you know to follow in uh, CT, Carrie Taylor's footsteps, and, and maybe someday you earn that A license and also get that FIFA badge. I'm not sure how many people in the world have that, but that would be a pretty darn cool combo if you ever worked to that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> So again, we've left a lot of people off the list. Um, you've learned so much in the last year. What, what is one thing you've really learned from the podcast? Again, I can't really pick one thing that I've learned, but I think as the podcast keeps going, I keep becoming more confident in what I'm doing and more prepared for the future. And I think... I've learned some social skills too, just learning to talk and just listen and listen to what someone's saying and not reading off the questions I have lined up, but responding with a follow-up question and just keep a conversation going. Well, and I think that was something, you know, the past couple of weeks with all your volunteer hours, and and we will have to talk a little bit if you're at 330 hours, I think you're closer to like 290 to 300, but you've done a ton. Um, You've had an opportunity to do a couple of media interviews with with local television, and and the one had two cameras at you, and uh, there was a a newspaper reporter that got a quote, and... um, I think people have been really surprised by, wow, there's this 14-year-old that's already able to to master an interview, right? Even even the other day at high school, you had an opportunity with with that. What was that all about? Yeah, so the high school one was just a quick little video about the wrestling room because I wrestle. Many people don't know that. I don't think I talk about it that often, but I am one of five female wrestlers I believe and we have a very small wrestling room but a lot of wrestlers so I just kind of recorded a video for the journalism team that trying to promote a new wrestling room and convince the school board that we do need a new wrestling room. So in addition to soccer, wrestling, uh, competitive water ski, um, coaching, refereeing uh you've you've instructed special needs swimming before at the ymca 
uh, you, you know, you got quite a bit going on. Um, how do you keep it all balanced? In all honesty, I don't think I keep it balanced. I just kind of go with the flow. And right now I'm not a super organized person, so that's something I need to work on. I'm also taking three online college courses. So right now is a time where I need to really hammer down and focus on staying organized and keeping everything together so I don't turn in any late assignments. I'm able to stay active and I'm able to hang out with friends and just have fun as well. Well, and, and I think that's a great opportunity for a dad brag too. So after finishing your freshman year of high school, you've already earned 20 college credits. And then uh, you're also starting your ACT prep with planning to do that in October. Um, you were able to, to connect with Finn Prep, an ACT prep program, one-on-one uh, -on -one mentoring, et cetera, uh, here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, while we close out, I, I you know, think it's worth, worth mentioning too. So you, you verbally committed this past year um, which is, is kind of young to verbally commit as a freshman, but what, what put you to the place where you felt good about making that decision? The one thing, the second we made it into the town, I knew that's where I wanted to be. I, even if I didn't play soccer, that's where, where I would want to be. If I got injured, I would still love it there. I love Stevens Point, the nature, just the experience. My grandparents went to college at UWSP and got married in Stevens Point, and it just felt like home. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of those things that kind of came out in the conversation with Colton Bryant, um, is, is he was kind of like, sometimes you just know, right? Yeah, so, you just have that feeling that it's home and that's where you want to be. So, you, you, you know, your recruitment process is kind of wrapped up, even though you have a few coaches still reaching out of, hey, uh, haven't kept in touch. What, what do you say? Um, what advice would you give others that are, that are in the recruitment process? Or what things did you do that you thought worked well? Or what questions did you maybe ask or hear being asked uh, that you thought were insightful? I think just doing the little things. I went to an like ID playing experience in front of a bunch of different college coaches and I wrote little handwritten notes on Duke Tig cards and that was just many coaches remembered that because yes they got emails but they didn't get the card that special card that they can bring with them and makes them remember me and just doing the memorable things reaching out, posting about maybe the game that you're watching. Maybe it's the college game that you want to go to. And just talking about your experience. Yeah, I, th I think that's another is, is you and I have stayed up late watching, you know, West Coast uh, D1 games, D3 games on the ESPN or YouTube or whatever we can find them on. And, and I think that's, that's just it. I see some of these people sending out notes to, oh, I emailed 300 coaches, the same email, dear coach, please see my video link. Versus, you know, if, if you're watching a University of Iowa game and you tweet something at Dave Diani and say, hey, I love in the 42nd minute, 
how your number nine dropped back that created a really unique opportunity to draw the defender and and led to a goal scoring opportunity right i mean those are the types of things that i think when you're watching the game and when you're following a team and you're letting coaches know uh that that to me seems so valuable versus just sending a hundred emails right yeah mm -hmm. so i i do know at one point you said one of your favorite episodes was talking to ann murphy so what what about murph uh and Casey Rise really stood out to you? At the beginning of the interview, it was kind of, she was a little quieter and a little nervous about the interview, but then she opened up and began talking about her experiences and just having a good time and telling us how much she cares for her players and how much she does and how much time she spends just for her players so they can have a good time and experience the game in the best way possible. And I think that kind of aligned with my coaching style of just players first and uh, supporting the players and making sure they have a good time because their home life may not be the best. So they need a safe place, a place to go have fun and just be away from whatever's happening in their life for a little bit. So I, I know this is probably going to be one of our longer episodes by looking at, at the time. Um, so let's go to those first three questions that you always like to start with. So, so tell me, what does the beautiful game mean to you? The beautiful game means absolutely everything. It's, I'm so involved in the game, refereeing, coaching, playing this podcast, and it's just a positive highlight in my, in my life and gives me, like I said, a safe place and just a place to have fun and play. Yeah, and I, I know that safe place that kind of soccer saved me. Dawn Crows talked about that's what she'd title her book as. I know Carly Lloyd kind of said similar sentiments. Um, we see so many players out there that want that. Um, what are some actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? I think it's everything I do in the game. The podcast, refereeing, coaching, and just sharing my story and sharing other stories on the podcast and encouraging others and just yeah keeping the game beautiful like the podcast says and then the the last question there is is how do you encourage others and specifically thinking about like some of your peers to keep the game beautiful I think just playing and encouraging them to have fun, especially like teammates in high school, just relaxing and having fun, turning on the Disney music and just dancing and singing and just having a good time. Yeah, that, that was a great mention too, right? That, that you know, goofing off and having fun. And um, that, that was one you, you actually picked up on the Disney music. I think it was the Soccer Chat podcast with Don Crow talking about, was it Maddie that always liked Disney? I am not sure. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, just, just enjoying it and having a good time. Um, so, so the last one, kind of thinking about your goals and, and your future in the sport, what do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer in the world? I hope that people honestly remember me as the 14-year-old girl who 
decided to start a podcast one day to help others. I hope people remember me as someone that was encouraging others and helping others put their story out there and just giving people a laugh or a smile and just making sure they have a good day. So as, as we conclude, you know, normally Anna will do the recordings and, and um, when she said she's not organized, one of the things we have to remind of is I need an intro and outro if I'm going to edit for you. Um, so we're going to go right into the outro. Uh, I'm going to free talk for just a quick second and then Anna, I want you to, to send us home. All right. Okay. So I, I think over, over the last year, um, this community and this game has given so much to, to our family um, and to both Anna and I specifically. Uh, you know, the relationships and the friendships we've built. Um, uh, taking my son over to watch Tiffany Weimer play in, in Denmark and having him kind of break down and just start crying and telling me his love for soccer. Um, it's, it's remarkable. Um, and we're so appreciative of, of everyone that's been a part of the journey. And even if we've not connected, um, we know that you're out there doing good, connecting with other people. Um, I would not have imagined a year ago when Anna and I were brainstorming watching games and saying, well, you know, what would a podcast look like? Who would some of your guests be? I would not imagine in my wildest dreams uh, that it would turn into this. You know, when you're, when you're driving your daughter over to a tournament and you look over and she's on her phone and it's texting and emailing with 99ers and it's setting up podcast interviews. I mean, people who were playing at the highest levels the sport offers 20 years ago are still wanting to invest and give back. It's, it's just been the most amazing experience and the doors it's opened. One, one of the, I, I guess I'll share two quick stories is, is one, one of the first phone calls I made after, after we had gone to convention was to Stan Anderson and I kind of said, hey, Anna's short. Is there a place for her to play goalkeeper? And of course, right away, Stan quickly changed that mentality and of course, uh, you know, connected me with Eric Weiberg and, you know, they're both like, no. No, this game's for everyone. Every, every player can develop and every player can get to a place that they're competitive. Um, and the other is, I had reached out to a good friend of mine, Andy McCaslin, uh, who, who was the head coach at Ferris when I was faculty at Ferris. And I said, you know, um, I think Anna might have been in eighth grade at the time. And I said, she's kind of talking about playing college soccer. I said, what's some advice that you'd give? And uh, actually, I, I guess it, it was right, at, right after we were at convention. Um, you know, second half of her eighth grade year. And he goes, you know, Dan, what I do is he goes, go find some 
random college program where you don't know anybody and you just let Anna show up to the camp and just experience the camp and just, you know, stay out of her way and just kind of see how it goes. Um, and that random place happened to be UW Stevens Point. You know, that, that was the weekend that worked in the schedule. That was the camp. I didn't really know anyone. I had talked to Eric once on the phone for like three minutes. Um, but it absolutely was the greatest advice we had received in our coaching journey of just, you know, go find some random school. And that one random school happens to be the one uh, that became the benchmark to every other place that that we visited. And, and we go out and we watch a lot of college soccer and we'll, we'll drive by fields and just kick around on a field if we're passing nearby a college town. You know, we've driven 15, 20 minutes off the expressway to stretch our legs and kick a ball. And it kept going back to that. So, again, I, I really want to thank the community, um, you know, the soccer community for letting us be a part of it. Uh, but more importantly, for, for allowing Anna to grow. So I'll let you take it from here, girl. So I hope you enjoyed the tables being turned and hearing more about my story and my personal experience. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful. Beautiful.